Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, football fans, welcome back to another episode of the NFL Whip Around. I'm your host, Jeff Hartman. Joined by me, as always, is Ebenezer Scrooge, KT Smith. What's up, Coach? I don't know why, I don't know why you're killing me with that reputation. I was just downstairs wrapping Christmas presents, damn it. You know? Are you good at that? I suck at I'm it. I'm of awful. all time. And I, I absolutely. I, don't, I barely make an effort. I'm just, I'm just pitching in so my wife doesn't get mad at me. <laughs> I'm the guy that says, can we just put it on a bag? Like I can do tissue paper. Let's just put it on a bag and give it that away. But no, I'm I, good with the outside lights. I can hang some outside lights. And that's, there you go. That's my contribution. Exterior illumination. Yeah. <laughs> the little lights aren't twinkling. Thanks for noticing <laughs> art. All right, let's get this show started. We're here to talk about the NFL and we're here to talk about some, I feel like there's some clearing up of the playoff picture. We're going to talk about that as we go throughout this show, as we talk about the burning topics surrounding the, the NFL after week 15, let's talk with some MVP talk. It's been a while since a non quarterback has won the award to be specific. It was Adrian Peterson back in 2012 when he was a running back for the Vikings. Well, I'll tell you what, Christian McCaffrey is making a pretty strong case for himself to maybe be the next non quarterback MVP. He scored three touchdowns at 187 scrimmage yards against the Cardinals for the 49ers. And even Brock Purdy said that McCaffrey was the league's most complete player and deserved the MVP. The question that we need to answer is, are you okay with a non-quarterback winning the award? And if so, does McCaffrey fit the criteria? Coach, I'll let you go first. I'm 100% okay with a non-quarterback winning the award. I recognize the importance of quarterbacks, obviously, but I feel as though we've weighted it so heavily in their direction that we ignore sometimes how integral it is to uh, have other contributors. And in San Francisco's case, look at what happened to the 49ers those three weeks when McCaffrey was out. You know, they, I mean, they played their worst football of the year. They lost three games in a row. With McCaffrey in the lineup, I mean, they've been almost unbeatable. They lead the NFL and EPA over the, over the time that he's been in the lineup. He's got over 1,800 yards from scrimmage. He's got 250 more yards from scrimmage than any player in the league this year. I think when you take him out of their lineup, they're defendable. When you put him in their lineup, not so much. So I, I would have no problem if he, if he were to win the award. You know, when I was when I was a head coach, and I didn't coach football, but it was high school, varsity, all that crap. And I did, would give out an MVP award, and that would be my my coaching staff. We would we would sit down and talk about this, and I would always say the same thing every year for 13 years. I'm going to give this award not to the best player to the most valuable player. Meaning if you don't have that player on your team, they are not the same. You that's value. Like if you lose this guy, you you might as well kiss it goodbye because it's not going to be the same. What you just said about Christian McCaffrey backs up that premise that he is the 49ers most valuable player, and I'm fine with a non 
quarterback winning the award. I wish they would consider more defensive players, to be honest with you, because you talk about the Miles Garretts, the TJ Watts of the world. They were game wreckers, and they can win games for their team. They've proven it time and time again, especially TJ Watt, where Steeler fans were a little biased, but still seen him win games for the Pittsburgh Steelers on the defensive side of the ball. I don't know why the quarterback has become such a, and it has to be a quarterback MVP, but let me ask you this question. It's about a quarterback. What about the uh, Christian McCaffrey's teammate, Brock Purdy? Would he get any votes for you? He's having a heck of a season. He is for no, no doubt about that. But again, I fall back on the, the, the weapons he's got around him, that, that offensive line, that system, uh, when you when you took McCaffrey out and you, and and Debo Samuel out for a couple of weeks, he looked really ordinary. There was there I remember conversations in the league about how like, hey, is Brock Purdy now, uh, you know, showing why he was Mister Irrelevant? Mm-hmm. Are we do we understand now why he was such a late round draft pick? Yeah. And suddenly you put those guys back in the lineup, and then the 49ers hit their stride again, and now people are talking about him as though he's the MVP. I don't think that. I think if you take Purdy out of the lineup and, and obviously you put in their backup, I don't even know who their backup is right now, Sam Darnold or Blaine yep. Gabbard or one Sam, of those guys. Sam Darnold. Okay. Obviously, they're not going to be as good, but they're still really good. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that Sam Darnold can come in and win football games for them, whereas they showed that with McCaffrey out of the lineup, they really struggle. He's such a he's such a valuable piece. When you're when you're when you've got a guy who you can line up in the slot, out wide, in the backfield, motion him to any any of those positions, run any route in the route tree, run any run running concept, inside zone, outside zone, power counter, all of it, and and have him you know execute all of it at an elite level. How many guys in the league can do that? I just I think he's he's pretty unique in that regard. Okay, so we all we both agree McCaffrey should be there in that discussion and probably like a finalist if we were doing this like Heisman trophy style who else would be in that discussion I would put Purdy at least in the discussion I don't think he wins it but I put him in that discussion just because of the year that he's having he's thrown a lot of touchdowns and not a lot of attempts I he's like 21st in the NFL in terms of attempts and he's just scoring a lot and they're putting up a lot of points who else would be in this MVP discussion for you well, I mean, Tyreek Hill's numbers have been phenomenal. He's True. another non-quarterback. He's got over 1,500 yards receiving. He's on pace for over 2,000 receiving yards. You don't see that that very often. No. I, he's another one where you take him out of Miami's lineup, and and suddenly they look a lot less explosive. I don't looked know. Okay, if on a, Sunday. What's that? <laughs> they well, looked okay on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's true. But uh, you look at like when I think about the quarterbacks. I don't know of anybody who I would say is having a slam dunk MVP season. Like it's hard, you know, in the past we've been able to say, Oh, Mahomes or Josh Allen, those guys are clear MVP front runners. Uh, It's harder to define that this year. I mean, I don't even know if if you said who's been the best quarterback in the NFL this year, there have been weeks where certain guys look like the best, right? You, You might say in the beginning of the season, Jalen hurts was playing phenomenal football. And then, he kind of regressed a little bit and, and Dak Prescott similarly had a, had a pretty awesome stretch there. Uh, Two has had some moments, but I don't know if any of the, anybody's really put it together consistently all year long. Yeah. Because I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the bills and Cowboys here shortly, but I think a lot of people thought that Dak Prescott was having an MVP caliber year. But then when you go and lay an egg, like they did in Buffalo, that 
that kind of tarnishes that a little bit. You know, Tyree kills a player. You bring him up, and I didn't even have him on my radar, but he could be worthy of at least being in that discussion. And how exciting would it be if the two front runners weren't quarterbacks in this league? Uh, I, I think that it's it, man, you're, you're comparing positions now where Christian McCaffrey's going to touch the ball so many more times than Tyree Kill. But Tyree Kill is is ridiculous in terms of his skill level and what he does and how. He probably keeps defensive coordinators up at night trying to figure out a way to have him not break a game open with just one play. This is going to be interesting down the stretch. You think McCaffrey gets it, though? No, I don't. I think that there's <laughs> – I don't want to say that there's a bias against non-quarterbacks, but I but I think that, the, that the, the, the writers and the people who do that see the league through such quarterback-centric eyes that I would be I, – I won't say no, but I will be, I will be surprised if he does, yes. Yeah. If they give it to someone like Patrick Mahomes, I'm going to puke. But still, it, he's just not having a great year. And it's because that, of his receivers. That would validate all your Chiefs conspiracy theories that they gave him. Yes, it would. And that's why. <laughs> yeah, you know it. All right, let's go to the next topic, and that is the Buffalo Bills at home on Sunday. They beat the, they beat the Cowboys handily, 33-10, to 10, and wasn't even close. Uh, so the Bills now talk about a resurgence. I said this on our fans first football show with uh, Rob stats Carrera, and I'll say it here as well. I think that Buffalo is a team that if they get in and it's still an, if they get in and they have a tough road ahead of them, this is the team in the AFC that everyone's saying, we don't want to play these guys because they're playing good defense. And but for crying out loud coach, Josh Allen threw for like 97 yards and they, they scored 33 or 31 points. I'm sorry, but my gosh, coach, what do you think about the bills? Yeah, they're they're really scary if they get right. Think about this. They could finish, they could wind up being like the six, and yep. they could wind up going to Kansas City in the wild card round. Imagine Buffalo, Kansas City in the wild card round. That would really be a heck of an, an entry left. Meanwhile, over in the NFC, you're gonna get like somebody at New Orleans in the same <laughs> round. Like, How is that the same? They don't weigh yeah. this. I, I I think two things. One, when Josh Allen's playing turnover free football one one of the big things that's happened in buffalo since they uh moved on from ken dorsey as their offensive coordinator is they've minimized the turnovers he, they've really gotten him to take better care of the football when when he's doing that uh they're scary they, they've also gotten back to running him a little bit more on design runs which is tough on the defense always you know can't account for the quarterback in the run game so obviously getting him right has coincided with their resurgence but, you know, just to sidetrack a, a hair and talk about Dallas real quick, what you saw from Dallas is what everybody fears about the Cowboys. Well, fears, I, sh I should say, as in uh, the things that, they, that they're wary of by picking the Cowboys. You get them out of Jerry World, you get them into an uncomfortable environment, and that's, that's what you get from the Cowboys, which is why I'm, I'm always on a, you know, prove it mentality when it comes to them. Yeah, Dallas, it, it, that's a bad loss for them. And it has nothing to do with Dak Prescott's bid for the MVP. It has everything to do with the fact that they're undefeated at home, putting up a crap ton of points doing it. And then when they go on the road, they have a losing record. And they're just not they're not the same team. And so we can talk about narratives all we want, like the Miami Dolphins, they don't beat good teams. Dallas has that same narrative. It's not the same exact narrative, but if you get them, like you said, not favorable conditions, it's cold in uh, Orchard Park. And they're not in the, their nice, comfy confines of Jerry World. And they struggle. And they struggled mightily. And I was shocked. It's it's the defense that was – I mean, what did James Cook have total? Like 170-some yards on the ground? 
Like this Dallas defense coach was supposed to be a lot better than this. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. And, and like you alluded to earlier, it wasn't even that close. It was 31 three. It could have been 50 to three. I mean, Buffalo did whatever they wanted with the football. One of the, I was, I was stunned at how big the holes were. Yeah. They would give you that sort of end zone view uh, of, of some of those run plays. And I mean, Buffalo was getting double teams and just moving the Cowboys to the second level and their running backs weren't getting contact until four or five yards down the field. That's that's not something you see very often in the NFL, especially against a supposedly vaunted defense like Dallas. And so you, you look at the schedules for these teams and it, it doesn't get easier. I'm trying to pull it up quickly. I had it up earlier. Dang it. And so you, you, I know that Buffalo, they have a pretty tough road to hoe here. Let's let's take a look. So Buffalo's schedule, they're eight and six right now, looking good. Chargers, Patriots, Dolphins in week 18. That Dolphins game could have some serious significance to it. That Miami, Dolphins game could be for the division, which is could. shocking because Miami still has to play, I believe, Detroit. If they lose one more, no, they go in. The Dolphins play the Cowboys, then they go to my to Baltimore to play the Ravens, oh. and then they play the Bills. That's still a tough stretch. Yeah, heck yeah. This that is going to be really man. everybody writing Buffalo out and and talking about Miami as a Super Bowl team, and then Week 18 that could come down to the division. That'd be that'd be awesome. That would be awesome. And then with Dallas, and talked about this with Rob, who's a 49ers guy. He was ecstatic because that's a little less pressure on the 49ers in terms of the number one seed. And Dallas has, again, the Dolphins, the Lions, and they finished with the Commanders. It's not an easy stretch either. And the Lions right. are going to be trying to do everything they can to get the higher seed so that they were to happen to play my or Dallas in the playoffs in some crazy way. Of, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what the finishing numbers will be in terms of who wins the divisions, et cetera. But Detroit's not a pushover. So this will be really interesting down the stretch, though. But do you think uh, uh, do you think Buffalo gets in? Oh yeah, yeah, I, I do. I think that they're they're of, of all the teams that are competing for those last couple spots, they're the most talented. And yeah. like you said, their next two weeks set up pretty well for them. And if they win those next two, and they're ten and six and rolling, and they go down into Miami, they'll be a scary team. No one will want to play them. No one will want to play them. <clears throat> all right, let's go to the next topic. Yeah, as of today, four teams have been officially eliminated from playoff contention. They are the New England Patriots, the New York Jets. Tennessee Titans and the Carolina Panthers of those four teams, which one do you think is most likely to rebound next year? Take your pick coach. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll let you talk about the jets. Cause I figure that they're the <laughs> easiest one there. So I I'll, 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 I'll play the contrarian role or the, or the, or the outside angle. I was looking at all those rosters today. New England's in bad shape. New, yeah. New England doesn't have a quarterback. They're, they're aging on defense and they're not, particularly good up front. That's a bad combination. Tennessee's in bad shape. They, they may have a quarterback in Will Levis, but they stink up front. I mean, I, Levis got sacked seven times on Sunday and, and probably avoided three or four others with his athleticism. That Their offensive line is really bad. Uh, so so while the Jets are, are a logical choice as far as that goes, but you never never know what's going to, going to go on with Rodgers. I don't think Carolina is as far off as people think they are. I think that they, uh, if they get the right coaching staff in place, now who knows what that'll be. And you got to be able to deal with David Tepper if you're going to take that job. And, and there's a lot of variables there, but I mean, they've got a decent run game and they've got a decent defense. I think that they've played below their talent level this year. I think that the way that 
they mishandled Bryce Young was a huge problem. And I think if they can get him right and then bring in some talent at wide receiver, they won't draft until the first pick, most likely of the second round, but they've got some money uh, to spend in the offseason. They can bring in some wide receiver talent. I don't think they'll be uh, terrible. I, I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team, but they're not going to be a, a two win team. So every team that is listed here, it's already eliminated from the postseason, has a huge glaring issue this offseason. You brought up like the Tennessee Titans offensive line, and their defense isn't that good either. Carolina, I mean, you're searching for a new head coach. You got a really young quarterback who's still unproven. Not a lot of receiver help, not a lot of talent on that team. New England's going to be getting a new head coach as well. They don't have a quarterback. Uh, in the Jets, the one thing that they could say is they do have their coach returning unless something shocking happens and they and they fire Salah, which I don't think they'll do. But Aaron Rodgers is a question, but the Jets have that defense. And that's the, that's the one thing I think that makes me think, well, if one team's going to rebound, it's the Jets. If Aaron Rodgers plays and if he is able to play at a high level still, that defense should be good enough to keep them in games, and he should be good enough to win them some of those games. I'm not saying they're going to go to the playoffs, not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl, but a rebound from what they have right now, I think, is logical to have them first. And then I'm actually going to go with Carolina second, Tennessee, and then New England in terms of my hierarchy there. Because I just think New England is in shambles with no quarterback. They're going to lose their head coach and their GM. That is a ton of turnover. Do you agree with that hierarchy, Coach? I do. I mean, I, I definitely think the Jets are in the best position. I, I yeah. figured we, we we both would uh, not talk about the Jets. So. <laughs> but I don't. I don't think Carolina is as awful uh, as as their record indicates. I think again, there was a lot of mismanagement there this year, and and I think you can you can get them right. There's a reason they chose Bryce Young. I don't think Bryce Young is a guy who's going to fail as an NFL quarterback. I just think that the marriage of him and not just Frank Reich, but that entire soup that they had uh, of an offense with three and four different guys in his ear really caused him to, to struggle. And if you clarify what is expected of him, you simplify the offense, you build it around his strengths. I think that they've got some other pieces there that, that can lead to some success. Okay. We talked about coaches. They're going to be being replaced. We mentioned new England, but the chargers finally did it. <laughs> they finally did it. It took getting their doors blown off in prime time against the Raiders on Thursday night football last week to fire Brandon Staley. I don't know how that guy kept his job for so long, but he did. And they finally fired him. The last three coaches in the chargers, you listed them here, Staley, Anthony Lynn, and Mike McCoy, none of whom had previous head coaching experience and all were pretty much unknowns at the time they were hired. Now, those coaches all together went 81 and 86 with Phillip Rivers and Justin Herbert as the starting quarterbacks. If you were the Dean Spanos, the team's owner, would you target a big name coach to pair with Herbert, like Denver did with uh, Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, or are you going to stick with the unknowns? How are you handling that, coach? I mean, the track record that, that's that's 10 years where you had really good quarterbacks. Phillip Rivers is going to yeah. be in the Hall of Fame. Justin Herbert looks like he could be headed in that direction if he can harness his potential and and yet you got a sub 500 record and i think one total playoff win over that time so so you didn't get obviously the return on the investment you should have most teams with elite quarterbacks have more success than that so it would be very very tempting if i were the chargers to go out and get a, a big name an established guy a guy who who you feel that herbert can work with i think that's going to be 
of of the openings that will exist. Probably throw Washington into the mix, and you know New England into the mix, in addition to some of the others that already are there. That's got to be the most attractive job. I, I would with Herbert as your quarterback. I mean, I, I would think that you're, you you look at New England <laughs> and, and and the mess you just outlined. Yeah. Right. You look at what's going to be going on in Washington. I mean, you know, Sam House certainly hasn't proven himself. We can go down the list. And the, or you look at L.A. and you're like, wow, I, you know, I have the opportunity to, to you know, start with Justin Herbert. That's going to attract some big names, I would imagine. And so if I were Spanos, absolutely, I would look to land a big fish. Uh, and, and but but a guy that, you know, I don't know if I, if, if, I, if I'd go after a Belichick. A guy that is on the back end of his career, somebody though who's who's had head coaching experience who I can pair with Herbert for the foreseeable future. It's going to be a tough decision if they were to if if they hire someone that has experience but doesn't move the needle. Like let's say Ron Rivera gets fired, and then they like we're going to hire Ron Rivera. Like that would be the most deflating hire for the Chargers ever. Like this is a guy that hasn't done it. I mean, he got to a Super Bowl in Carolina, I believe but hasn't done it with Washington. Granted, they didn't have the quarterback, but still you kind of want that young up and comer. Uh, and that's where you get into that unknown though. And a lot of people want, I want the next McVay. Give me the next Sean McVay, you know, the Kyle Shanahan. Give me uh, some of these guys that have come out of hell. Give me the D'Amico Ryan. Like these are guys that don't have the experience of being a head coach, but are those young innovative coaches that a lot of these owners are looking to find problem is finding the right one like that's not easy i remember when the steelers hired mike tomlin in 2007 baltimore parted ways with brian billick and they said i want you to find me the next mike tomlin and they did with john harbaugh and obviously he stuck he was a special teams coach you know that doesn't always translate it's gonna be tough it's gonna be really tough the la chargers like you said that that roster is not devoid of talent it's just they need a good coach good systems and how many op- how many more openings do you think there'll be by the time this season's over? That's a good question. So we already said L.A., Carolina, rumored to be New England. Let's assume Washington. Who else is there? Well, the Raiders, if they don't rehire Antonio True. Pierce. So that's five. Uh, I mean, you could potentially see openings in Chicago. They might move on from Matt Eberflus if he doesn't. Yeah. You know, I mean, they've kind of bit. turned it around a little bit. Mike Tomlin, you think Mike? <laughs> not, no, Mike Tomlin's not going anywhere. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. And then, the, then, then there's always one that just kind of comes out of the blue that you really didn't necessarily see. So you're probably talking about six or seven altogether. And and they're they're going to it's going to be obviously competitive, uh, whether or not the Chargers want to go the route of yeah the young OC like you said the Bobby Slowick right the, mm-hmm. who's a hot name. Uh, or or you know Ben Johnson up in Detroit who's a hot name, or or do they go for for the guy that like like I think about a guy like Matt Nagy. He was the head coach in Chicago. He's an offensive guy, a quarterbacks guy. Uh, it didn't go well in Chicago. He feuded with Mitch Trubisky, and and it was a bad match. But now Nagy is you know in Kansas City, learning with Andy Reid. You know, and you might say. Hey, let's let's take a guy who who's an offensive guy. He's got head coaching experience. Hopefully, he learned from some of the mistakes that he made. Then he's interned basically with Andy Reid, and you know, let's pair him with Justin Herbert. I mean, a name like that uh, could be a possibility as well. If you're looking for other teams that could be getting rid of their coach, look for the worst division in football. 
and that's the NFC South. I wouldn't be shocked if you see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers say maybe we're going to make a change, especially if they're going to get a new quarterback because Baker Mayfield is on a one-year deal. Maybe he has a new suitor uh, starting next year. We'll see. Atlanta, are they are they crazy about what they're seeing there? Like, I could see yeah, those teams I, there, being this there's a lot of there's a lot of people in Atlanta unhappy that Bijan Robinson is. He got eight touches in that game yesterday. Eight <laughs> touches, and I mean he is a supremely talented individual, and and there and the Arthur Smith offense, which you know he was brought there as to, to sort of build them in the image of the good Tennessee Titans teams of a couple of years ago. And that just really hasn't happened. So yeah, that's a possibility as well. Keep your eye on those. Now we're going to talk about the Indianapolis Colts and the Pittsburgh Steelers game for a lot of reasons. Before we dive into the Colts who are turning heads and putting themselves in a really good spot in terms of the playoff picture, I have to bring up the news that broke on Monday. And that was that the NFL who ejected DeMonte Casey from the game for a hit where Michael Pittman Jr. had to lay out for a pass. He tried to lead with his shoulder, hit him with his shoulder, but hit him high. It was ugly. We knew the flag was coming, gets ejected. The NFL doubles down and suspends him for the rest of the season, and that includes the playoffs if the Steelers were to somehow, some way make it. Coach, first let me talk. Let me ask about the hit. The hit itself, was that a hit that should have been – should he have been ejected from the game? No, absolutely not. Well, I, If they want to throw a flag on that, okay. Uh, yeah. I can live with the flag because the receivers go into the ground and, and in, in the current environment, you can make the argument because he should have avoided him. But you know, as well as I do, because I'm sure you've watched it over and over again, because he hits him with his shoulder pad mm-hmm. and he, and the first contact that he makes is not to the head. And that's everything that they've been telling guys to do everything they've been telling them to do. All right. Does, cause he lower his helmet. Yes, he does. You know, does he go down? To hit a guy who was quote unquote defenseless, I don't even know what that means anymore. Right. Does it mean? Does it mean any guy who's in the air or or diving for the ball are are they now defenseless? Because if they are, and I'm a wide receivers coach, I'm going to be like, hey, jump up in the air. If the ball's thrown in your midsection, just jump in the air. The defense can't hit you. It's yeah. it's so absurd the way that they've written this rule now. So right, so Kazi goes down low to hit a guy who's falling to the ground. Uh, but he strikes him with his shoulder high on the shoulder pad of the receiver. How how's that an ejection? I again, what is my number one issue with NFL officiating? It's it's the consistency of it. So sticking with the Steelers, go back to Week 13 against the Arizona Cardinals. A very similar throw made by Kyler Murray leads, I believe, it's his running back out of the flat, and Alandon Roberts, who's playing in zone coverage, sees it goes and hits him. Now he hits him a little late and he hits him high. It was ugly. And that player got injured as well. Draws a, draws a flag, gets fined, but not ejection. Okay. To me, when I watched that play as a Steeler fan, I said, there is the standard of what is allowed and what's not allowed. When I saw the KZ hit, I thought, okay, same thing. You're going to get flagged. There's going to be a fine. But then all of a sudden he gets ejected. I was like, what? Why? How is he getting ejected? Like, wh- what is the differentiation between those hits and all the other hits of a defenseless receiver? As you said, no one even knows what that means anymore. Like, how do they de- decipher what is ejection and what is not? And then to find that the NFL suspends him for the rest of the year based on the fact that he had been fined multiple times this season, I guess. Someone, I think I saw on Twitter that he was, he's been fined because NFL is jacking up the, the number amount of dollars that they're finding these players. He's been fined over $200,000 this, this season. 
And so then they, they, I just don't get the suspension coach. I try to make it make sense to me who hates the officiating as it is. No, I, I can't, I can't make it make sense. I don't understand. You know, I, they, they did something similar earlier in the year with uh, who was the D, um, Jackson Kareem Jackson. Denver, right? think, yeah. yeah. Kareem Jackson. And I mean, you know, he got, he got the, uh, the lifetime achievement suspension. Right. And, and, yeah. uh, but, but well, cause he's been fine for several hits. That was only the third penalty he's drawn all year. He had one pass interference penalty and one other, uh, you know, like unnecessary roughness penalty for yeah. the whole year. So it's like they're basically saying uh, that he's been fairly penalty free all year long. But in the aftermath, when they go back and they look at stuff on tape, they decide, oh, well, that's a finable offense. It, it, it makes no sense. The one thing that all right, if we're going to go in this direction, which obviously we are as a league, one thing they could do is they could go to the college or the high school rule that where when you're when your knees down, you're down. And, and that way that when a guy's diving for a ball and going to the ground, uh, a defender understands that he's going to be down. He can't get back up and run. And, and that might take a little bit of this, stuff, this away. Um, but otherwise, there's no way to police this effectively without the inconsistency because it just happens far too fast and the rules are far too vague. In our post-game show after the game of the Steelers and Colts, I one of our co-hosts on the post-game show said that he agreed that he should have been ejected. And I said, well, what is he supposed to do in that position? DeMonte Casey is taught to try and dislodge the football so it's an incomplete pass by any means necessary. He followed the letter of the law by not leading with his head. The bad throw, which we'll get to Tom Brady's comments here in a second, the bad throw, which forced Pittman to have to lay out for it, he leads as hey, when I was in middle school, we even called that a hospital pass. You know, <laughs> you're going to put that ball over the middle or you're going to lay it. He's going to have to lay out. You're going to get him killed. And that's exactly what happened. I recall, cause you're a Steeler fan. You might remember Mike Mitchell when he was with the Steelers, he had a legendary rant in the locker room where he was talking about getting fined by the league. And he goes, how is it my fault that I'm getting fined when these quarters are throwing these passes over the middle, leading their receivers right into me as I'm trying to make a play. Again, I, I get that. I, I get. I don't understand how these defenders are supposed to play defense because what is KZ supposed to do in that position? The only answer the NFL will say is let him catch the football, and I I can't support that as a as a as a guy that played football in the, in the the lowest level and someone that loves watching the game. How in the world am I ever going to want to watch a game where a defender is going to stand there and be like, okay, you oh I can't hit you here, so you go ahead and catch it, and then when you land on the ground, I'll touch you down. It's not fun. That's I, I don't I don't get it. Any final thoughts on this before we move on? Uh, it's amazing. I'm not saying that they're, that they're not doing the right thing by trying to protect players. I think we all agree that that's the right thing to do. It's just that you can't protect players by taking the physicality uh, out of the game within the the moment. Like like when we're talking about receivers jumping up in the air for a ball that's thrown high and not being able to hit them. You can't, it's not football anymore. If you, right. if you say that, oh, well, you can't touch that guy because he's defenseless. Because the alternative is to li literally let him land and then make a football move, which means he's caught the ball and is now running with it. <laughs> so uh, what's the alternative? None. I don't know. I don't know. All right, well, let's, let's stick with the Colts discussion. Them beating the doors off of the Steelers on Saturday increased their odds to make the playoffs to 66%. That's without Anthony Richardson, who's been out since week five. 
Jonathan Taylor wasn't in the game. They lost Zach Moss in this game. I mean, there were these no-name guys. I knew Trey Sermon from when he played at Ohio State, but other than that, they had like practice squad guys running all over the Steelers. The Shane Steichen team, led by Gardner Minshew, is really, really starting to turn it on. Now, how long is it going to last? I don't know. Will they make the playoffs? Nothing is certain at this stage. But at the same time, there are people that say that Shane Steichen could be coach of the year. What do you what do you think? Because I've got another guy in the AFC that could be another nominee, but I'll I'll let you talk about Steichen first. Yeah, I you know, I think uh well one, I was really impressed with with what they did in that Pittsburgh game. If I'm trying to take off my Steelers glasses and step back yeah. and just assess it, the film breakdown that I just did for our YouTube channel is largely about what Indianapolis's success in the red zone against Pittsburgh's defense. All three of their touchdown passes, they had a perfect route called for the coverage the Steelers were in. They knew exactly what the Steelers were going to play, whether it was based upon tendency or formation, I don't know, but they knew exactly what it was, and they dialed up a perfect route for it, and they executed it really well. They had the, the Steelers still, I don't think, I don't know, did the Steelers defense understand what an RPO is? They, they, they clearly couldn't defend RPOs. I mean, the, you know, the Eagles were the team that really brought the RPO to the NFL under Doug Peterson about six, seven years ago. And Steichen was on that staff and he really learned how to run those. And he's doing a great job implementing them. They're going to be a really fun offense when they get Richardson back and Taylor and those guys, they do a lot of really interesting, creative things. Yeah. I think he's, you know, he, and I'm not trying to steal your thunder if this is where you're going, but I think between he and D'Amico Ryans, you've got in that division, two teams in Houston and, and Indy that are way exceeding expectations. Both those guys should be in coach of the year conversations. I was going to say someone else. I wasn't even going to say D'Amico Ryan. I was going to say Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland. Yeah. I mean, think about it. This guy's won games with four different quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson, PJ Walker, Dorian Thompson, Robinson, and now the ghost of Joe Flacco is coming. Rises back. Again. <laughs> <laughs> and not to mention though, still people don't realize this either. It's without Nick Chubb. Like yeah. He lost his bell cow running back. And his two best offensive linemen. I know. He's, he's like on his tackle 3-4 as his starting bookend tackles. Uh, Miles Garrett's still playing well, but he's banged up. You can tell. Denzel Ward has missed time. That team is finding these crazy ways to win football games. And will it? Is it sustainable? Most will say no, it's not. But I think that at the same time, you have to give a lot of credit to Kevin Stefanski. And that makes me throw up in my mouth as a Steelers fan. But- <laughs> I was just about to say, this is very big of you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Putting on my NFL hat here. It's trying to be a, a very level-headed discussion, but no, it makes me puke. But still, Kevin Stefanski's doing a hell of a job and he's done a hell of a job. I still remember him not even being allowed on the sideline in 2020 when the, the Cleveland Browns beat the Steelers in the postseason and Ben Roethlisberger's last Real well, and he played in the playoffs his last season, I think, but still, uh, when they ended it at Heinz Field, and I was like, Man, this dude wasn't even there. And then he eats, I think Kevin Stefanski deserves to be in the conversation. We'll put it that way. You agree or disagree? Absolutely, absolutely. Those are those are three guys you could all make a case for all three of them for sure. All right, let's finish this up with the player profile. Derek Henry, is this the end of the road for this type of running back in the NFL? That's the that's the question here. Yeah, usually our pro. Uh, player profiles are praising guys for uh, you know having a great week or because they're a great story. Uh, the reason I brought Derrick Henry up was because I read this statistic uh, on Monday morning. Derrick Henry 
in that in their game on Sunday uh, became the first player in NFL history to have 20 or more touches and gain 10 yards or less. 10 Jeez. total yards or less. That's how bad Tennessee's offensive line is. But that's also kind of like, you know, how much his skill set has eroded as just a a big power back in the in the uh, mode of some of those running backs from the 1990s, early 2000s. I, I don't know when you look at the at the at the uh, premier running backs in the NFL these days. They're they're much more of the hybrid types, the guys that can run the wide zone plays, can be used as receivers, motion out of the backfield. Uh, it just feels as though the Derrick Henry type running back, as a, as an every down back, is uh, an endangered species. And so I wonder if I you know you never say never trends trends you know, go away and then that, you know, they come back because you're making a counter move to what the defense is doing, et cetera. And who knows, 10 years from now, the big back may be back in vogue, but it feels as though it's going to be a while before we see another Derrick Henry. I think Derrick Henry's unique, not only because he stayed on the field as much as he did, but just his style. I mean, he's, when you watch him run, like, how does this work? He looks like he runs really upright. He doesn't have that, Bo Sanders, it doesn't look like the athlete. Like when I think of you know, Bo, San- Bo Jackson, I'm not, not, I've just merged Bo Jackson and Barry Sanders. God, what a player that would have been. But still, <laughs> Bo Jackson, like when you watched him, because he was a big guy too. And you been, you mentioned Christian Okoye in your call sheet from last week. Yeah. And those were guys that were bigger, but when they ran the ball, it just had a different look. Derrick Henry looks like he's real stiff. He looks like he runs upright, but he is still a monster. He's hard to bring down, and he has some breakaway speed that some of those guys that I just mentioned didn't really have. I don't know if you're going to see that mold of a player anymore. Some pointed to Najee Harris with Pittsburgh. I don't see it. I, I don't see that same type of player, and maybe that is offensive scheme. I don't know, but I think that you are seeing more of the future of the running back position being the B. John Robinson, being that type of kind of Austin Eckler ish type player who is so good in the backfield and in terms of catching the ball, getting them in space, making people miss, but can still run the ball effectively if you need him to. Derrick Henry was fun. I just don't know if it's sustainable in the league and he might be gone. I don't know who's going to pick him up and we'll see if he can recreate that magic somewhere else. We'll see. Yeah. Generally with those, those big backs that when, uh, when, when they start to go, they go pretty fast. And yeah, I think you see it already with Najee Harris that like he isn't, explosive enough to be a big play guy mm. he, he he does he's not elusive enough to make guys miss much in space uh occasionally he'll run through a tackle or hurdle a guy but for the most part uh you know he goes down fairly quickly after contact because he just can't create the space for himself and yeah. you and you, you contrast him to Jalen Warren uh who is much quicker and more explosive and Warren certainly looks like the more modern running back and I would say that if you're looking for a prototypical modern running back, it's it's Christian McCaffrey. That dude does it all. He can stay on the field. He can catch the ball in the backfield, blitz pickup, you name it, he can do it. So maybe that is the the prototype that most teams are trying to find, but good luck. That's not easy to find. So, all right, Coach, uh, why don't you let everyone know what's coming up on the call sheet this week and what they can expect there. Yeah, it's episode 36, so Steelers fans. Yeah, the there, boss. There you go. Yeah, it's we're going to about time. We're, you skipped Dan Kreider at 35. You skipped Dan Kreider. I was pissed off. Yeah. And so thankfully you're giving the Steelers their deal. About time. Yeah. Well, you know, Dan Kreider, love you, buddy. But um, <laughs> so, yeah. And then, uh, so we're going to talk, we're going to talk at the bus and then uh, we're going to take a deep dive on the RPO. They just, the, the Indianapolis was really good running those against Pittsburgh on Saturday night. And 
Uh, it's a whole sub world of, of offense, the RPO. And there's so much to, to unpack there. And I think fans sometimes confuse RPOs with play action passes. So we're going to talk about the difference between the two and some of the, the better RPO schemes in the league right now. Yeah, very good. So, uh, Coach, tell them where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, at KT Smith FFSN and uh, video breakdowns on the Steelers YouTube channel. There you go. Steel Curtain Network on YouTube. You can find all of our content about the Steelers on the Steel Curtain Network. You can find me on Twitter at Jay Hartman, H-E-R-T-M-A-N underscore P-I-T. For all the loyal listeners out there, next week might be a little bit of an altered schedule, but we'll get you the whip around at some point. Coach, it's been fun. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. We'll talk next week. Yes, sir. Merry Christmas, everyone. Take it easy.